If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. As the healer, not just as the miracle man not just as a good rabbi, they see him as, quote, the son of David. Now, don't let that slip your memory as we go through the rest of these stories, because calling him the son of David is referencing him as the anointed one, the one that is the Messiah, the one that was coming. They recognize the deity, if you will, of Jesus, where other people did not at this point. And so this is a fascinating part of these miracles, at least in the middle of Matthew, is that they are getting it. People are getting it. And it's interesting, too, that it takes two blind men to be able to see Jesus. Don't miss that. They finally are seeing who Jesus is, but it's two blind men who never laid eyes on him that now know that he is the Son of God. I think that's really, really neat. Uh, move on over to chapter 15 with me. Another story here in, in the Gospel of Matthew, this one actually told in Matthew and Mark, is of the deaf and mute man in, in uh, Matthew 15, beginning at verse 29. Matthew 15, 29. It says, Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat there. He, the, pardon me. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet and healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking and the maimed made whole and the lame walking and the blind seeing and they glorified the God of Israel. So Jesus, Jesus heals those who are both blind, deaf, and mute. And so this is an example of those that could not speak. They couldn't say it. And the first thing they're going to say is Jesus' name. Uh, so that's really, I think, a very fascinating part of him healing the senses here. This is attracting him a worldwide audience. And I know some of you have said that you never really, we don't really pay attention to the Lake of Galilee, but I've mentioned several times that one side is a Jewish side, one side is a Gentile side. These, these are happening on the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. So what Jesus is doing is introducing himself to a worldwide audience. So there are many Gentiles who are seeing it. And notice it says they brought... Anybody, and it goes through all the different things that they had problems with. So over and over and over again, if there's this issue, they bring them to Jesus. Any of these problems, which shows us that they really did see Jesus as a great miracle worker. Now, previously I said that they called him son of David. So some of them are actually seeing him as the Messiah. But there are so many different stories that happen in this particular region. Uh, and when he talks about the deaf uh, and the mute uh, some of these are combined. It's not just that it's one miracle. It's actually two miracles at the same time, which is, again, a really neat thing that Jesus can heal them uh, with a more than one infirmity. 
Uh, and then Jesus heals the blind man in Mark 8. There's another story there. Pardon me. We're still on that one. Uh, in Mark chapter 8, where he heals the man at Bethsaida. And you might remember that in this story, he, again, he's in a highly Jewish area and begins to teach and preach. And this person comes to him. This begins at verse 22 in uh, Mark chapter 8. It says, then, they came, then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked if he, was, if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and again made him look up, and he was restored and saw everything or everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. This is my favorite miracle in the, in the Gospel of Mark, and I'll tell you why. I don't think things are done by accident, especially when it's in the Word of God. There are not details that are given that we're meant to overlook. This miracle takes place in Mark chapter 8. How many chapters are in the Gospel of Mark? 16. 16. So this is in the dead center of the Gospel of Mark. And what do we know about Mark? I call him the Joe Friday Gospel, just the facts, ma'am. He only wants the details. And so he does this miracle. This is the only time, the only time in recorded history that Jesus does a miracle in two phases. You ever wondered why he did it twice? Why, why does he heal him is it because Jesus is out of power? You know, maybe he's got to pray a little more. Why, why is it that he can only do half the miracle? Well, I'll tell you why I think he can only, he, it wasn't that he couldn't do it. He's showing his disciples, this man can see me dimly, but he heals him the second time. And he says, now he can see clearly. I think this is a miracle that's meant for the apostles to see, is that they too had only seen Jesus in a, in a very clouded view. They saw him as a rabbi. They saw him as a teacher, as a miracle worker. They saw him as the kind of Messiah they wanted him to be. And so they weren't able to see Jesus clearly. And so Mark does a good job right here in the middle of his gospel saying there's this one time. Now, why is that not recorded in any other gospel? And why is it that this even needs to be told? You see, if I were writing a story about miracle workers, I wouldn't say, hey, there was this one time that the miracle worker did half the job, came back and did the other half. So it has to be specific. It is in there intentionally. And I believe it is because they did not see Jesus. So this miracle was on behalf of the apostles as much as it was the man. The other thing is this man was not born blind because he's able to see people that look like trees. Now I could describe to you a tree all day long, but if you've been blind since birth, you don't know what that is. You might be able to feel it, you know, and try to, this is about what it looks like. But how do you know what a tree looks like walking? So he had not been born blind. He had been blinded at some point in his life. The same is true of us in our spiritual walk. We start off, we're really excited, and when we're children, we love talking about Jesus and coming to Vacation Bible School, and we bring our Bible, you know, we pat the Bible in class, and we got all that zeal and enthusiasm and excitement, but it tends to wane as we get older, and we need to be renewed. And so Jesus is showing these men, if you really want to see me clearly, you're going to have to take some blinders off. And I love that this, this again, right in the dead center. He's fed the 5,000. He's told the disciples to leave their home. He's walked on the water. He's done all these great miracles, but they still didn't quite see him for who he really was. Now you say, well, I take issue with that, you might say. I don't think that the disciples were that far in their doubt. Well, keep reading in the Gospel of Mark, and he'll show you that on every page... They had some reservations, especially Peter. 
And Peter struggles with this all the way up until the cross. He does not attend Jesus' crucifixion. He is on the run, like most of the apostles. And so they love Jesus, but they had uh, this mindset that if he really is the Son of God, he doesn't have to die. And Jesus is saying, no, if I am the Son of God, I do have to die. I have to die and I have to be raised. That's why Peter takes the sword to Malchus's ear. Even though Jesus told him his disciples wouldn't fight, we're not fighters, uh, he had... The swords, Jesus told him, I want to take a couple swords with you. They take two swords. So Peter had something in his his pocket, but the temptation should have been resisted. But instead he uses it uh, on the man. And of course, Jesus will heal that sense, won't he? He'll put the ear back on. I always wonder too, it's little details in the scripture that I have questions about when I get to heaven. Sometimes I wonder if I have more questions than I should. But one question I always wanted to know that is if Malchus's ear had been healed and restored completely perfectly... Would he be allowed to continue to serve as a, uh, as a priest or as a priest's aide? You see, if you were serving in the temple, you couldn't have any maimed issue. You couldn't have any issue of an of a, 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 a ear or an eyeball being out of place. And so being a servant of the high priest, he couldn't have any deformities. So did they then say, hey, sorry, Malchus, you had your ear cut off. Where? You can't tell it, you know. So I wondered if, if maybe after the fact there were some things that took place we don't have in Scripture where people that were with him, obviously the servants knew, because when Peter comes up to the fire and starts warming himself, oh, no, 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 we know you. Uh, they know him because Malchus's story is already being spread. But you can't tell it. Jesus has completely healed it. But I wonder if he couldn't serve any longer uh, with the priests as, a, as a, a servant, if he then had to think about that his whole life, that he was rejected like the blind man was, in John 9, uh, and therefore had to start over. Would he then have a faith in Christ Jesus? I would say yes, definitely, from the miracle that took place. So his people would have turned against him. Uh, Those who saw it, because you can't ignore that he had his ear chopped off. Uh, Another story in uh, Mark chapter 10, just over one more chapter, is he heals two blind men near Jericho. This is uh, Mark 10, 46 through 52. Mark 10, 46 through 52. And now they came to Jericho as he went out, of, uh, when he was, he went out of Jericho, his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Now, I love it when they give you the details. You got the guy's name. That's rare. That's very rare. And also his father's name. Now, why would they do that? Because Mark knows his readers. Remember, it's meant for a Roman audience, by the way. Mark knew that his readers would have known Timaeus. They would have known Bartimaeus. So he must have become a disciple of Christ. It says, um, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Again, that's a messianic plea. That is a recognition of Jesus being from the root of Jesse, the son of David, the one who would come and sit on the throne as king. But they warned him to be more quiet, and he cried all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, uh, then they called the blind man saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. 
Now, I'm not trying to present a critical case of the apostles, but they had a lot of work to do. And it was very hard running a full-time ministry and traveling from town to town. And so apparently this is something that must have been a regular occurrence, that as Jesus walked from city to city, that there would be people that would line the roads. Um, if you've ever been a part of a caravan, uh, I know when I was growing up, uh, my parents taught us that when there is a funeral going by, you pull to the side of the road. And if you've ever been through Texas, it's the coolest thing you'll ever see, is those guys will get out of their trucks and they'll take that cowboy hat and they'll put it right here. Boy, that'll give you, the, that'll give you goosebumps, watching people pay respects to those who had died. But if there's a parade, we stay on one side or the other. And so anytime you're traveling through a region, you're going to see people, you're going to see you know, situations where somebody may be mowing their lawn or driving their car. But in this instance, Jesus is the most popular figure that they have ever known. And so people who were blind and sick would try to make their way to the road in just a chance that Jesus might see them or that his garment might touch them as they pass. And so Bartimaeus has made the decision to sit in a clearly marked area. He, we don't know how he got there, but apparently he's, he's waiting patiently. And when Jesus comes, he starts to cry out. Now, again, I'm not trying to be critical of the apostles. They have a lot of work to do. But if you stop for every person that cried out, you wouldn't get anywhere. So they're trying to move him along. And he begins to cry out, son of David, have mercy on me. And they're like, shh, you know, be quiet. You know, we're trying to, trying to listen, trying to watch. And finally, he begins to cry out so loudly that Jesus stops. He stands still. There's few times in the scriptures we see Jesus standing still. But he stands still and he says, bring him to him. Of course, then everybody's like, oh, you've been called by the master. When just a few seconds earlier, they were like, shut your mouth. And now... This guy gets to come up to Jesus. Now he's got all the attention on him. It's not just that he's shouting out and crying out to Jesus. I'm assuming that he's doing that in a very emotional state. And Jesus heals him. And when Jesus heals him, notice he asks him the question first. He does this a couple of times. He says, what do you want me to do? What are your, what are your expectations? You see, this man was thinking about his sight. He could ask Jesus for anything. We usually ask God for something immediate. We want something right now. We want a quick healing. We want a quick miracle. We want something. I want, Lord, I want this immediately. And he could have asked for anything. But the one thing he asked for is for his sight to be made whole. I think that's important also. He could have asked anything of Jesus. He has Jesus' full attention. And he says, right now, I want my sight. And he calls him Rabboni, which is, rab is a rabbi, teacher, teacher. So he recognized him as one like Nicodemus did a teacher who did great miracles. And then after he is healed, uh, he says, go your way, your faith has made you well. Now, I always, I always find it interesting when he gives them the command to go in peace. But there are other times he says, go and don't tell anybody about it. We'll see that also in some other miracles uh, going forward. But anyways, he receives his sight, and it says, he says, uh, uh, go away, go your way, your faith has made you whole. Do you notice what happens at the end of verse 52? What does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. You're whole now. Thank you for coming. What does it say he did? He followed Jesus on the way. He told him, you've got what you wanted. You can go on now. But see, what we know about Bartimaeus is he, he wasn't done with Jesus. He, could, he was close to his home, probably. He could find his way back. But now he says, I want to follow Jesus. And sometimes that happens to people who have been touched by something that's happened in their life that they cannot explain other than knowing that God has done something great. He's answered a prayer. 
And so Bartimaeus becomes, I believe, one of the disciples. And he follows along in that group. And he's got a story to tell. You see, Peter can talk about the great catch of fish. That's great. That's wonderful. James and John can talk about him uh, talking to the woman at the well in Samaria and how they've had to overcome some of their, uh, their personal feelings regarding Samaritans. Matthew could talk about, hey, Jesus came and called me from the tax collector's booth. Uh, on and on. You know, Peter could say, hey, my, my mother-in-law was sick and he made her well. He could, have, so he could have told all these disciples could tell their stories. But Bartimaeus can say, I was blind and now I see. So this group around Jesus is not just spreading that he's the Messiah. They're saying he's the miracle worker. He's the anointed one. He is the son of God. Powerful words. And this man has a terrific testimony. So Bartimaeus probably follows them as far as he can go. And then John 9, uh, bouncing over there. This is another one. I wrote a, a, a paper on this many years ago because I was just fascinated with it. We were studying the Gospel of John in one of my graduate classes. And I, I think it's fascinating because it takes so much time. Most of the stories and the miracles of Jesus are four or five, like we just read, four or five verses, six verses. This one gets literally the whole chapter. And, uh, and, and you have to wonder, why, John, would you devote so much time you know, as you get older, you get tired of repeating yourself. You know, you get tired of constantly having to say something and say it again. But John, in his older age, is very careful and very strategic in the stories he tells and when he tells them. And this message was a powerful enough message that John felt like it needed a lot of words. In fact, that's 41 verses total. Uh, so let me highlight some of the thoughts here as we look at it. Uh, first of all, in the first part of the verse, it says in chapter 9 and verse 1, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. That's not uncommon to see a blind person. But yet, to this point, we've never seen one born blind. We've seen some that were blinded. But it, John says, I want you to know this one was born blind. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but the works of God, that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. He said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now let me pause there. This happens in another one of the stories we just read. Jesus uses spit. Now, if I went to a doctor and he spat on my eyes, I wouldn't go a second time. I would probably tell people, don't go to this guy. All right, this is, I should have known. But what Jesus is doing is there is a region near to Galilee where doctors considered their saliva to be miraculous. And in fact, people claimed that if the doctor was really a healer, a great physician, that anything you did around him, he could touch you, you could touch his coat, you could touch his, there was an automatic healing. So this is not showing that Jesus is disrespectful in no, no sense of the word. He is showing the people that he has power in his body. So he's using the spit. And also, this is not something that's, un it's not that uncommon in their day. Uh, if, in fact, parents, uh, did you ever, you ever been out and your kid falls down, you know, and they got something on their shirt and you go, 
you know. Have you ever done that before? Yeah, that's gross. But my mother used to do that to me. When I would fall down and scrape my knee, if we didn't have any water present, usually my dad would say, rub a little dirt on it. That never worked. But, but he, she would come and she would, she would rub it off. And there are times that maybe you have a scratch on your arm and you don't have nothing to wipe with and you use your saliva to help. Well, Jesus is using this in a miraculous way. And if this guy can heal you by just the saliva from his tongue, Imagine the power that he holds. And so this is meant to be something that is seen for a very wonderful thing. It's not meant to be uh, derogatory. Jesus is clearly using his body in every way that he can to kind of heal. And I love that he touches them. It's not like he spits on them. These cases, he'll spit in the dirt and make clay with it. And how else are you going to do that if you don't have any water on you? You're out in the middle of nowhere. You have to use something. So he, he spits, makes the clay, and wipes them off. This is also, uh, I think, this is also a sign that he expects them to do something about it. So he, he puts the spit on his eyes, the clay on his eyes, and then as the man begins to see, as you do, how many of you rub your eyes in the morning? All right. Got those little, I don't know what they are, but they get down in there. And my mom used to say that's when the Sandman would leave too much sand in my eyes. But you get that little spot in there in your eye and you rub your eyes. Usually when we wake up, we rub our eyes a little bit, you know, and we kind of, so imagine clay in the eye. So he's having to wipe and as he does, he can see everything. He's never seen anything in his life. And as he wipes that away and he continues to wipe it away, you can just imagine how exciting it would be. What is this? You know, what? What is that? You know, tell me what this is. What is this? So he is overwhelmed with excitement. And this is another reason why the story is included in the Gospel of John in such great detail. There is a conflict between the Jews and some of the disciples of Jesus in that they did not see, Jews did not see anything special about what Jesus did. They didn't see anything special about what John the Baptist did. They thought these guys were just kind of out there doing their own thing and causing harm to the Jewish nation uh, and to the people of God. And so they become very critical. But there is no way you could fake this miracle. It's impossible. And so they, what, what John gives us is the criticism and the negativity of those Jewish leaders. They haul him in, okay? Because he, he, there's no question. Everybody knows him. Yeah, you know, he was born blind. That's the guy that was born blind? Yeah, he's the guy who was always begging out here. He's born blind. What about that guy? Well, he was, did you hear about the guy who was born blind? That was, and so they call him in, and then they call his parents in. And they ask his parents to testify, was this boy born blind? And they say, well, yeah, of course he was. He's our child. Well, how did this happen? And they say, we don't know. It just did. And so then they say, he's old enough, ask him. And so they do. They, the Pharisees begin to, to try to figure out how to handle the problem. Uh, and it says, uh, verse 14, and when the Sabbath, uh, Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes, it was Sabbath day. So there's another problem. They don't want Jesus doing these things on the Sabbath. Then the Pharisees who asked him again how he had received his sight, he said to them, he put clay on my eyes, I washed and now I see. That's about as clear as a bell. I just know I was blind this morning and today I can see you. That's all I know. And they're still critical. They continue to go on. They say, therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. So their, their problem is, instead of acknowledging, man, this guy was born blind. We don't know what happened, but praise God. They continue the investigation. 
They're not content with just hearing this because Jesus has broken some Sabbath-keeping rule that their, their uh, rabbis had said you couldn't do. And, of course, we know from reading about the Sabbath in the Old Testament, there were times that the Sabbath could be broken. Others uh, said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? So they accuse him of his blindness. They say he's blind because he sinned. Uh, I keep reading. It says, and there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. He doesn't say he's a miracle worker. He doesn't call him the son of David who had mercy on him. He says, I perceive he's a prophet. Now, I don't know how much he'd heard from Jesus, but this miracle doesn't include his hearing. It includes his eyesight. But he saw Jesus for who he was, and he was everything they said he was. There was no doubt in his mind, and he's going he's to just, in such a wonderful fashion, say, you guys ought to be his disciples. Do you want to be his disciples? And they're going to end up excommunicating him for it. But it says, uh, and they said to the blind man again, in verse 17, what do you say about him? Because he, he's a prophet? But the Jews, verse 18, did not believe concerning him that he had been born and received his sight until he called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son who was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know this is our son, and we know he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. And who opened his eyes, we do not know. He's of age, ask him. He'll speak for himself. And the reason why, I wholeheartedly believe the reason why they didn't want to engage in this is because what's going to happen is if a person acknowledges Jesus is the Messiah in front of a group, they're going to excommunicate him. That includes being basically barred from the synagogues and all the services that they offer. It includes the teaching of the young men to learn the, the rabbinical teachings. It, it also is a part of their services to learning for a young boy and for a child and a grandchild. Once they reach the age of accountability and at 12 years old they had their bar mitzvah or for a girl a bat mitzvah, those services are hereby canceled. You do not have access to the rabbi anymore. You don't have access to the priests. In fact, if you don't have access to the priests, you've been excommunicated by those in this religious group. You would be uh, condemned for trying to get into the doors of the temple to be able to offer service. They have a funeral service for you, and you are dead to them. So the couple realizes the ramifications of the miracle, and not in an effort to throw their son under the bus. I think mostly it's because they didn't want to see a public, uh, you know, situation. They didn't want people to see them as this family who... Uh, claim Jesus the Messiah. And so they say, ask him, because they feel like he's the best to give a witness. And so he comes in now uh, another time, <laughs> and he begins to have to answer questions. And it says, uh, his parents, verse 22, said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already uh, had, or, had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So they again again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God glory. We know this man is a sinner. Once again, you must be blind because of a mistake you made or a mistake that your parents made. And so they're, they're saying, we'll give God glory, but it's because you're a sinner, because you were a lost soul. And uh, it's just really harsh. He answered and said whether, uh, speaking of Jesus being a sinner, Jesus is a sinner, he's doing it in blasphemy, and of course the man is a sinner for acknowledging it. Whether he's a sinner, verse 25, and not, or not, I do not know. One thing I know, and though I was blind, now I see. Again, 
I'm just telling you, I was born blind this morning, and today I'm seeing, tonight I'm seeing. They said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, said, I told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And this is the nail in the coffin. He says, do you also want to become his disciple? Also. Also. This man had determined after he received his sight, he was going to be a disciple of Jesus. Right. The more you tell your story, the stronger you get. And he tells it over and over and over, and he wants to be a disciple. Now, John is going to give us the Paul Harvey rest of the story here in just a minute, but the gist is, if anybody wants to find out who this man is, it's the blind boy. It's the blind young man who has been blind since birth. He wants to know who Jesus is. He's never seen, he saw him in that moment, maybe right when he opened his eyes, but now he wants to know what happened to him. Where did he come from? What do we know about him? Who, are, who is his family? We know he's a Jew, but what else do we know? And so he's saying, you guys also want to be his disciples. And again, that's the nail in the coffin. They've been saying if anybody follows him or if anybody doesn't acknowledge that he's not from God, then they're going to be excommunicated. And so the, the boy now, the man, has to decide what to do. How's he going to move forward? So notice it says uh, in verse 28, they reviled him. Vile. That's a, that's a bad word. Want revenge. They want him dead. And I'll tell you what, if you keep reading just a couple more chapters, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, that's the last straw. Because they could not confront a man born blind being healed. And they could not confront a Lazarus who'd been in the grave for several days being raised from the dead. They didn't know what to do. And so they are, they are just steaming. They revile him. They hate him. And they said, you're his disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, they won't even acknowledge him as a teacher. We do not know where he is from, and that's a lie. They did know where he was from. The man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is yet, where he's from, yet he's open my eyes. <laughs> really? You don't know anything about him? He's just kind of snuck in among you, and he's been performing miracles, and you still don't know who he is? He recognizes that's a lie. People hate it when you call them out for their lies. They hate that. Like, oh, well, what I meant to say was, no, here's what you said. Here's what you said. The man answered and said to them, um, uh, why, uh, pardon me, let me move on down here. Yeah, verse 30. Why this is a marvelous thing and that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears them. Since the world began, it's been unheard of anyone who's opened the eyes of one born blind. If this man were not from God, he, couldn't, he could do nothing. And they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sin. And why are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Uh, it's crazy that this poor guy has had such a wonderful thing. And again, like Priscilla said, he's getting bolder as he goes. He realizes his, uh, the nail in the coffin's already there. He knows that he is a dead man walking. And so he might as well say, look, if you don't know where he's from, that's on you. You, know, you. you guys are supposed to be the teachers, and you don't know who he is. You don't know where he's from. You never heard of this guy before. All lies 
shows the corruption of those that were in the leadership at that time. And then the other thing is, he begins to say, this is important. It's never been said. We don't know who knows who this guy is. But it's been said, there is not a single person in recorded history that was born blind and now can see. Go back to your Old Testament. There are some miracles. Go through your New Testament up until now. There are some miracles. And this tells you the faith of this man before he got to Jesus. This has never been done. He's, he knows. His parents have said, you know, you were born blind, and never in the history of humanity has anyone ever received sight being born blind. But this man went to Jesus anyway. His faith was already strong. He knew if anybody could do this, it would be Jesus. And I, I love that. He heals the man who's born blind. I can tell we got about five minutes. Let me go through these last few, this last slide. So what does it mean when we read these stories? Actually, you know what? Keep reading. i got to read to the end of the chapter. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And he said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who's talking with you. One of a few occasions that Jesus says, I'm the Messiah, right to the person. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I've come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who do not see may be made blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, and they said, Are we blind also? See, they knew who he was talking about. And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. He's saying, I came... And I did miracles, and you saw it, and you denied it. You were too blinded by your own greed and lust and for power. You were blinded to it, un unwilling to accept that they were wrong, to say, I'm sorry. It was very rare for people like Nicodemus earlier. Again, John's stringing together all these stories. Nicodemus to come, even though he comes into the cover of darkness, I got to know, Jesus, who are you? You've got to be a teacher from God. Nobody can do this kind of stuff. They knew who he was, but they tried to deny him. The Pharisees did at every single turn. And I love how Jesus says, this guy was born blind, but now he sees. You were born, born with your sight, and you're just as blind as a bat. You can't see anything. And Jesus is performing the miracles in front of their eyes. And when given an opportunity, you know what they would usually say? Do one more. Do one more. One more. Do, do another one. We've got to see something. Just do this. Do that. I want to see you heal this person, okay? How about this person? They would not have been content if Jesus healed a thousand people in front of their eyes. They were so, so struck by, the, by his Jesus' teachings and his miracles, they were, saw him as a threat. I thought, saw him as a threat to their religious state, saw him as a threat to all of the teachings. You see, they had been raised in a faith. And this is tough to see the transitions Jesus is making. So why do we have this in the scriptures? Well, one, I think it's because Jesus wants us to know him. It's important that we know who Jesus is. Jesus, who is he to you? Ask, answer that question for yourself. Who is Jesus to me? Is he the greatest figure in human history? Is he uh, the greatest miracle worker we've ever known? Is he uh, the son of God? Is he the Messiah? Is he, who is he to you? Who is he to you? 
Is he your Lord and Savior? Is he the one who took your place on the cross? How much do you owe him? Everything. So you need to know him. Second of all, you need to see him. You need to see him. You need to see who he is. And I love how he, at the end of the book, John will say uh, that Jesus told Thomas, blessed are those who don't see and believe. You've touched, but there will be people that won't be able to touch me, and they'll be blessed. He wants us to hear him, hear his voice. I strongly advocate in daily reading of Scripture. I cannot tell you uh, it's more important than any medicine you take. It's more important than any exercise you do. It's more important than any food you eat or don't eat. A daily regimen of reading the Word of God is how we hear the voice of God. And so we need to do that. And then finally, he wants us to share him. This man, this, this guy who was born blind, couldn't help but tell the story. And, and you would too, if God has spared you and saved you from sin or from illness or whatever the case may be, you got to tell people. And I love this, uh, this story in John 9, especially with the man born blind, because Jesus finds him and talks to him once again. Jesus didn't have to do that. It's rare that Jesus did a miracle and then he went back to find him, check on him. But the reason why Jesus did that is because he was excommunicated, which means, remember, his parents avoided it that he was going to be excommunicated from his family. And so he came to him and, in a way, says to him uh, and talks to him like he does with his disciples in uh, Matthew chapter 12, when he says, who is my mother and my brothers? Those that do the will of God. So this guy, Jesus, brings him into the fold. I I truly believe that these men, like this man born blind, come into the circle. And this is the crowd of people that are around Jesus in those last few days, that last Passion Week. Uh, we, we only have the recorded of the apostles that are all fleeing, but there must have been many other disciples, like this man born blind, that followed Jesus all the way to the end. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.